Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are alive today and you are in our midst. And so I pray by your spirit that you would open our hearts to uh, receive all that you have for us today. In Christ's name, amen. Last summer we uh, went on vacation to Montana where Josie has relatives, so we frequently go there. Lucky enough and blessed enough to go there uh, oftentimes in the summer. And so last summer we were there and one of our relatives rented a pontoon boat. And so we were looking forward to a day on the lake. It was a flathead lake in Montana. Enormous body of water in this big boat. And um, so we're all getting ready to go and we're there at the at the shore, and my little six-year-old Sam, I can see he's starting to get nervous, and he's starting to ask questions, and he's never been on a big boat on big water. Uh, We've done camping trips and canoes, but this was something different. So he's nervous about this. Well, we get into the boat, and uh, again, it's kind of a, it was a a beautiful day, calm, but uh, as we're cruising along, We hit a wave, and actually I think a wave hit us, a wake from another boat hit us on the side, and our boat began to rock. And all of a sudden, little Sam, six-year-old Sam, screams, we're all going to (laughs) die. And from then on, he was practically paralyzed. He could not enjoy the boat ride, which means the rest of us couldn't enjoy the boat ride either. It can start at a very young age. But it can grow stronger as we get older, the fear of death. But Hebrews 2.15, which we read today, says that by his death, Jesus delivered all those who through fear of death were subjected to lifelong slavery. Jesus' death can deliver us from our fear of death because though he died, he lives He's alive. Now, for many of us who've been Christians for a long time, it's easy to forget how radical this belief is. The belief in the resurrection of Jesus. During these last couple of years, many of us have seen loved ones die. We've had people close to us die. We've seen the reality of death up close. We don't expect a dead person to get out of the hospital bed after they're taken off life support. We don't expect to find an empty coffin at a funeral. So, are there good reasons to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? That he really did rise from the dead? My hope and prayer today is that God would open minds and strengthen our faith in this foundational truth, this great miracle of the resurrection of Jesus. So I want to just focus on one piece of evidence today. The the argument for the resurrection of Jesus contains many different pieces to this this puzzle. And, and, And I'm just going to focus on one little piece here, not answering all the questions. If you have questions, I'd be happy to talk to you about it, point you to resources. But I want to talk about, just again, to open our minds, to strengthen our faith in this skeptical age, of why it's reasonable to believe that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And then we'll talk a little bit more about the relevance of all this to our 
to our life and certainly as we contemplate death. But I just want to focus on this one piece of evidence, and that is what we read about in our gospel, the empty tomb of Jesus. The empty tomb. How do you explain it apart from the resurrection? Uh, Luke tells us that uh, in 24, chapter 24, verse 1, but on the first day of the week, early in the dawn, the women, the women who had come from Galilee, to be with Jesus while he was in Jerusalem. He tells us that in uh, the end of chapter 23, that it was the women who came with him from Galilee. And then later in this passage, he names these, these ladies. But they went to the tomb the first day of the week, early at dawn, taking the spices they prepared for Jesus' burial. They went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So let's stop right there for a minute and consider this. If Jesus' tomb was not empty, as soon as the disciples went public, and they did just several weeks after this, they, they started going public, proclaiming in the streets of Jerusalem, God raised Jesus from the dead. If his tomb was not empty, the enemies of Jesus could have just taken people to the tomb and said, see there, there's his body. There's what remains of him and game over for the Christian faith. So even people who are skeptical about even scholars, the majority, I would say, of scholars who are skeptical about the resurrection of Jesus, they concede that there's something plausible about the empty tomb. And so they come up with various explanations. How do you explain the empty tomb if you don't believe that Jesus was wasn't raised uh, from the dead. Well, one idea, and this is probably the most prominent, and it started very early, is that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. The disciples stole the body of Jesus. Now, if you believe that, you would have to believe that the disciples suffered for a lie that they made up, for a hoax that they concocted. Many of the disciples were persecuted severely for this testimony that Christ is alive. And many of them died, and we have good early historical evidence of the suffering of the apostles and their martyrdom. In fact, um, tradition has it that the apostle Peter was crucified. And uh, the earliest mention of this, I believe, is in a church father named Tertullian. He's writing at the end of the second century. Listen to what he says about... Peter and Paul in Rome. He said, in Rome, the apostles poured forth all their doctrine along with their blood. They stood up for what they believed and they were willing to die for it. And then Tertullian says, Peter endured a passion like our Lord's. So that's a very strong early tradition that Peter was, was crucified. Uh, and it seems to me that if Peter knew that this was a hoax that he was in on, as soon as his captors started talking about crucifixion, that he was going to be crucified, he might have said something like, wait a second, let's talk. This is all a mistake, a big misunderstanding. The idea, the idea that the disciples suffered and died for a lie they didn't make, that, that they made up doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And Blaise Pascal said, I tend to believe witnesses who get their throats cut for their testimony. 
It's strong evidence, the martyrdom, the suffering of the apostles to the witness of Christ raised from the dead. Another theory is that maybe the women went to the wrong tomb. It was early on Easter morn. It was dark. Maybe they got mixed up and, uh, and, and, and went to the wrong tomb. And, uh, and that's why they, they said that it was empty. And, and one of them got the notion that, well, maybe Christ is alive. And then they started talking to one another and they all got worked up. And then they told the apostles and it just all snowballed from there. I don't think it's fair to these women to think that they were so gullible and incompetent to make a mistake, something so serious and something so consequential. In fact, Luke tells us at the end of chapter 23 that the women saw the tomb and how his body was laid. They, they knew where Jesus' body had been laid. And even if they did get mixed up, don't you think they would go to Joseph of Arimathea and say, you know, we're mixed up here. We don't know where the bodies lay. Could you help us out? There's a major problem with all these alternative explanations for the resurrection of Jesus. And it's this, that they all have something in common. And that is that uh, it presupposes that the disciples were expecting Jesus to rise again from the dead. They were expecting it. And so they kind of forced themselves to believe it. Or they created this lie as a kind of psychological compensation. But the Gospels tell us over and over again that the disciples did not understand. They did not fully grasp what Jesus meant when he talked about suffering and dying and being raised again on the third day. And, and subsequent historical research has, has shown, looking at, first century Judaism, that this idea of a crucified and risen Messiah was just not part of the equation in terms of the thinking about the Messiah in Judaism at this time. So this was not part of their background. This was not part of their expectation. This came as a shock. When Jesus died on Good Friday, they thought he was a failed Messiah. They were coming to the tomb to pay their respects. The disciples were afraid. They would not even get out into public. They thought the whole thing was over. They were afraid that what happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. It was the women who were brave enough to go to the tomb and pay their respects. And when the apostles heard the women's testimony, they said, it sounds like an idle tale, like a, a story you've made up. They didn't believe. It took the empty tomb, and the resurrection appearances to convince them. But the idea of a crucified Messiah being raised to life, it just wasn't part of their background thinking. So the alternatives to the resurrection don't really fit the, 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 all the facts. There are good reasons to believe what the angel said. The reason the tomb is empty is he's risen. He's risen. Of course, to believe that does require faith. Faith has its reasons, but it's still faith. It's still trust. But to not believe it also requires faith. That's a standpoint of trust as well. Oxford theologian Alistair McGrath points out that the most important beliefs that we hold, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? What is the destiny of mankind? 
of humankind. What, what kind of government is the best form of government? All these really important and deep questions, Alice McGrath points out, these require, these beliefs require faith. They don't rest on absolute certainty. And he makes the point, he says, we have very few beliefs that are based on absolute certainty. Mathematical truths, yes, they're based on certainty. Two plus two equals four. But as McGrath says, that doesn't change anybody's life. That doesn't get us excited. We don't come to, to a gathering and celebrate two plus two equals four. We don't sing songs about that. The most important things in life, the most important beliefs, can't be proved or disproved with absolute certainty. So when it comes to belief in Christ and in his resurrection, we're not in the realm of absolute certainty. We're in the realm of probability. You see, what makes the most sense? Of the facts. And we're not just in the realm of the intellect, but we're in the realm of the spirit. Because God calls people to seek the truth about Him. And God responds to people who seek the truth about Him. And God can give us faith, and God can strengthen our faith, and we can know personally the power and love of the living God as we seek him. And we can grow in our faith and in our certainty about these things. Because Jesus is alive. And he can minister to people that way. He can strengthen faith by pouring out his presence and love. And so we can ask God, to give us faith and to strengthen us, to reveal his truth to us. There are good reasons to believe in this great miracle. And since Jesus is alive, the writer of Hebrews is right that by his death, Jesus has destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, destroying death. Our God is a God of life. Sin leads to death. There are two forms of death that the Bible talks about. There's physical death. And the wages of sin is death. Why do we die? Sin came into the world. The wages of sin is death. There's the physical death. But then there's a second death the Bible talks about. Spiritual death. Which is separation from God, who is the source of life. God's enemy seeks to separate us from him. The devil seeks to separate us from the life and love of God. But in his death, Christ took the penalty of our sin upon himself at the cross so we don't have to be separated from God. He died the death that we deserve. Let me ask you this morning, have you trusted in Christ's death for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you have peace with God? If you're separated from God now, you don't have to be separated from him beyond this moment, beyond this day, as you put your faith and trust in the one who loved you and gave himself up for you at the cross. God is a God of life. He does not wish death. He does not wish us to be separated from him. We're made in his image and likeness. He calls us to himself. He wants us to be reconciled. to Him, And he's made a way at the cross. Today, you can have peace with God through faith in Christ. Jesus suffered death, the passage says in Hebrews. 
Jesus tasted death. He knows suffering. And he knows death. But it didn't have the last word. On the third day, God raised him from the dead. And so this enemy, the devil and death, God's enemy was destroyed. The word destroyed there in that passage from Hebrews has the idea of rendering something ineffective. It's like a bomb has been diffused. And so death now for those who are in Christ, yes, it's an enemy, but it's a defeated enemy. It's a, it's a toothless, clawless tiger because of the victory of Christ. And so Christ can deliver those who've been enslaved by fear of death as we lay hold of him and put our faith and trust in him and develop a relationship and grow in this relationship with him. Easy to say on a Sunday morning, we're all relatively healthy. We're healthy enough to be here. We're secure. We look good. You look marvelous today, Billy Crystal would say. It's easy to talk about these things in the abstract on a Sunday morning like this. Here in West County, we're safe, pretty healthy. But uh, what about in the nursing home? What about on the oncology floor? What about in the COVID units? What about those who are bedridden and can't be here today? What about the disabled? The truth of Jesus, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, has to work in those contexts too, for it to be true. I read a story last week of Ashley Frierson was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer in the middle of her life, midlife, a wife and a mother. And she was, had gotten this diagnosis and she was talking to her father, Paul, who's a pastor, writer, theologian, watching her children play soccer. And she turned to her father and said, I don't understand why God is doing this. It doesn't make sense. And her father, pastor, theologian, writer, he said, honey, I don't understand either what God is doing doesn't make sense to me. And he said, We're, we live in between. We live in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And in that in-between time, a lot doesn't make sense. Ashley soldiered on and she wrote this prayer. God, you can deliver me from cancer, but if not, I choose to worship you, to trust you with all my heart, soul, and mind. She went through chemotherapy choosing to see her suffering as a sharing in the suffering of Christ. She wrote, I have sore hands and feet and difficulty breathing, but knowing that Jesus experienced these things on the cross gives me great comfort. She said, it's such mind-blowing comfort to know that Christ is with me in this. I have a peace that passes all understanding. I can't talk about my trials without talking about Jesus. She was in these groups where people would talk about their suffering and their pain. And she said, I just can't help it. I got to talk about Jesus. It's like she said, 
eating a Reese's peanut butter cup. Jesus is the chocolate and suffering is the peanut butter. Just goes together in my experience. Only Jesus marries hope with suffering, she said. Even in her suffering, she continued to love others and to share Christ. And then one day, the Lord called her to himself, called her home. And the oncologist that took care of her posted something on her Facebook page. She said, the nurses couldn't stop talking about this patient. And the the nurse said to me that was taking care of her, you've got to meet Ashley. Uh, She said, she makes me feel so good about life and family and God. And then the oncologist said, with regard to that latter topic, God, she said, I've always taken the tack that I'm spiritual but not religious as sort of a way to kind of push that aside. But she said, seeing how this patient, Ashley, went through this made me rethink my cynicism. I, I, I'm, I'm open now. And she didn't even try. It was just, it was coming out of her. Ashley's life and her death was a witness to the risen Christ, the hope that we can have when we face suffering and death and loss. So, There are, brothers and sisters, there are good reasons to believe that Jesus is alive today. I've given you just a little bit. I mean, you could spend years on the books and the research. There's good reasons to believe that Jesus is alive, that the resurrection really happened. It was a historical event. But Jesus also gives us a relationship with the living God. He gives us more than good reasons He gives us a relationship. God gives us a relationship with himself through Christ. Aren't you thankful for that today? I'm looking out here. I know the stories of people in this place who can testify. God has sustained me. God has given me hope. God has given me comfort in difficult days. A relationship with Christ sustains us in the most difficult times. In fact, that's what the writer says at the end of that passage where he's talking about how Jesus suffered and died. He says, because we have a great high priest who went through these things for us, he can give us help in our time of need. He knows it. He's been there and he has overcome. And that gives us strength. The kind of trust that Ashley had, I pray that I would have, facing suffering like she did. That kind of trust doesn't happen overnight. It's something that has to be cultivated with a relationship with the living God through prayer, through worship, through studying His Word. Will you, this Easter Sunday, commit to growing closer to Christ? Will you, if you don't have a relationship with Him, open your mind to the possibility that He's alive And that he died for you so that you can know God and have faith and have hope and know a love that defeated death. A love that is stronger than this great enemy, death itself. Someone wrote, sin is serious, evil is powerful, suffering is great, time is short, Jesus is stronger. Amen. Lord, I do pray for each and every one of us. We thank you for who you are and for what you've done. And I pray that as we contemplate this today, that your Holy Spirit will draw us closer to you. 
And if there's someone here today that has not put their faith and trust in you, that they would take that step. That they would take that step to confess their sin, to claim your forgiveness at the cross, and to put their hope in you. We don't have to have all the questions answered. We don't have to have 100% certainty. We can take a step and you will reveal yourself more fully to us. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, O God, for the way that you strengthen us in times of trial. We give you glory and praise, living Christ. Amen.